Chapter 13 of Tracked by a Tattoo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tracked by a Tattoo by Fergus Hume. Chapter 13 The Tattooed Cross. Fanks was prepared for most surprises, and from experience, he was capable of controlling his emotions thoroughly. In this instance, however, he was so overwhelmed by the unexpectedness of the discovery that it was some time before he could arrange his thoughts and plan of action. The coincidence of the tattooed cross was extraordinary, but the resemblance of the portraits was still more so. Before he could comment on the fact, Hersham asked an abrupt question. "'Why do you speak of these things?' he said anxiously. And what do you know about Miss Comer? I know nothing about Miss Comer, replied Fanks quickly. Hold on a minute, my good fellow. I have had what people call a turn. Hersham accepted this explanation with a doubtful air, and pushed the spirits towards the detective. Accepting this attention, Fanks poured himself out a stiff glass. A sip or two braced his nerves and set his brain to work, so that shortly he was able to face the unexpected situation. For obvious reasons, he did not wish to reveal too much to Hersham. Yet under the peculiar circumstances of the case, he was forced to tell him a certain amount. To gain his ends with the least possible risk to his plans, he was reduced to manufacturing a plausible theory from the facts within his knowledge. The task was one of some little difficulty but he succeeded fairly well in suppressing so much of the truth as he did not wish known. "'That photograph took me by surprise, Hersham,' he said after a pause. "'Why should it take you by surprise?' said the other jealously. "'Have you ever met with Miss Comer?' "'I have not met the lady,' replied Fang slowly. "'But I have seen someone who greatly resembles her—so greatly, indeed that I thought the person I saw was the original of that photograph. Where did you see this person? At Paris, in the morgue." It seemed to Fanks that Hersham changed color on hearing this, but he kept his feelings under control and merely remarked, "'In the morgue? A case of murder, no doubt.' "'No, suicide by drowning. Afterwards I heard that the body was that of an English girl called Emma Calvert. He purposely suppressed the fact of the marriage. She is buried in Père Lachaise under the name, whether true or not I cannot say, of Calvert. You cannot wonder that the sight of that picture, which I took for that of the dead woman, should startle me, the more especially, as you assure me that the original of that photograph is still alive and is engaged to you." "'Was it for this purpose that you came to see me?' demanded Hersham. No. I came to see you about something else. Nevertheless, before telling you the object of my visit, I should like to have the mystery of the photograph explained. How do you know that I can explain it? Perhaps you can, perhaps you can't. On the other hand, perhaps you can, and perhaps you won't." Hersham bit his lip and took a turn up and down the room. He appeared to be on the verge of revealing something, but checked himself when about to speak. At this stage Fanks wisely held his tongue, and resolved to let Hersham make the first remark. Evidently the young man had something on his mind, and what the something was Fanks was determined to find out, but he left the mode of revelation entirely to his host. 
Hersham was aware of this, and hesitated and faltered and frowned. Ultimately, he resumed his seat and accepted the situation. "'I have always looked upon you as a friend, Fanks,' he said in a hesitating manner. "'And I have every reason to believe that you wish me well.' "'My dear fellow,' said Fanks, wondering what could be the reason of this appeal, "'you are perfectly right. I would do anything to prove my friendship for you.' "'Then answer me candidly. Did you come here to ask me about that cross which you know is tattooed on my left arm?' "'Yes.' said Fanks unhesitatingly. I did. How did you guess my errand? I read the report of the inquest on the body of Fellinger, and I remarked the fact of the poison needle and the tattooed cross. I was informed that you had the case in hand. I knew that you had seen the mark on my arm. So, when you wrote asking me to see you, it was not hard for me to guess what you wanted. You see, I was right." I congratulate you on your penetration, my dear Hersham," replied Fanks coolly. At the same time, I do not see what this speech has to do with your former one about friendship. I can explain. You asked me a question about that photograph, and to answer it in a satisfactory manner, I shall be forced to tell you something about the family of the girl to whom I am engaged. Does your explanation concern the late Sir Gregory Fellinger? Yes. It has a great deal to do with the late Sir Gregory. And with Emma Calvert? With the woman you call Emma Calvert. Ought I to say Lady Fellinger? said Fanks quickly. Hersham shrugged his shoulders. That makes no difference to my explanation, he said, and rose to get the photograph off the mantel-shelf. You think that this is the picture of Emma Calvert? For answer, Fanks produced the portrait he had found in Fellinger's rooms, and showed it to Hersham. "'Is this the picture of Anne Comer?' he asked. "'No. That is Emma Calvert.' "'Then these photographs are those of two different women?' "'Certainly. The one is Emma Calvert, who committed suicide in Paris. The other is Anne Comer, who is alive and engaged to me.' Fanks considered for a minute. I now begin to see light," he said in a somber tone. Am I right in assuming that Emma is the sister of Anne? You are perfectly right. She is the twin sister. Ah, that accounts for the resemblance. It does," replied Hersham with a nod. The two sisters were so exactly alike that, apart, you could not tell one from the other, at least so I have been told. Oh, then you never saw the two sisters together? I did not. I never saw Emma in my life." "'Of course you know her sad story,' said Fanks, after a pause. Anne's mother told it to me. I know that Emma married Fellinger secretly, and was driven to her death by his brutality. Now you can see why I reminded you of our friendship before telling you the truth." "'No,' said Fanks sharply. "'I can't see.' Why? I am engaged to the sister of the dead girl, so I thought—that I might accuse you of killing Sir Gregory out of revenge? Well, I did have that thought in my head, and then the coincidence of the cross, you know." Fanks laughed and took the hand of Hersham. "'My dear lad,' he said, "'I have no idea of accusing you of the crime. Your engagement to Miss Comer is no proof that you killed the man who acted so badly towards her sister. 
Do not, therefore, hesitate to tell me all you know. How Emma Calvert came to London, how she met with Sir Gregory, and how she was loved by Herbert Vaud. What? cried Hersham. You know that also? I know more than you think, Hersham. Therefore, if you attempt to deceive me, I shall find you out. Now go on with your story." "'I do not want to deceive you,' replied the journalist, "'but you must understand that I only speak from hearsay. If you want the tale first-hand, you must see old Mrs. Comer on Taxton-on-Thames." "'Hum,' said Fanks, remembering his theory regarding the directing of the envelope which contained the cardboard star. What kind of a person is the lady in question? An invalid, said Hersham promptly. A paralytic. She has not moved hand or foot for years. Confound it! What is the matter? Nothing. Only your information has upset a theory. Never mind. Go on. There isn't much to tell, said Hersham. Mrs. Comer is a decayed gentlewoman, whose husband died and left her with two little girls. To support these, she set up a dressmaker's establishment on Taxton-on-Thames. When the children grew up, Mrs. Comer was smitten with paralysis and laid on the shelf. Anne and Emma carried on the business, and thus supported their mother. Emma came to London to gain experience in a fashionable dressmaker's establishment, and Anne remained behind to look after the shop at Taxton-on-Thames. While in London, Emma met with young Vaud at the house of a friend of her mother's, he fell in love with Emma and wished to marry her. She liked him, but she did not love him. Nevertheless, for her mother's sake, she accepted his offer. Then, in an unlucky hour, Herbert introduced Fellinger to Emma. She loved him, or was attracted by his title. At all events, she ran away with him to Paris and became his wife. She was married in a London office, registrar's. I did not know that, said Hersham. Emma told her mother that she was married, but she did not write where. Well, young Vaud had an attack of brain fever, and afterwards he went on a sea voyage. On his return, he crossed to Paris to learn what had become of Emma. He ascertained that she was dead and buried. In some way he learned the whole miserable history. Vaud returned to England to see Fellinger, but before he could meet with him the baronet was killed in Tooley's Alley and the fate of Emma was avenged by an unknown hand. That is the story, Fanks. You can make what use you like of it." "'It is a wretched story,' replied Fanks. "'I can now understand the hatred which young Vaud bears towards the memory of his false friend. And I can understand also how I mistook Anne for Emma. But,' added Fanks with emphasis, I cannot understand why Anne came to the chambers of Fellinger, and why she ran away when she saw me." Hersham looked jealous and frowned. "'I cannot understand that myself,' he said. She hated Fellinger as much as did Herbert Vaud. And I do not know why she should go to the rooms of the scoundrel. She asked for the valet. Robert, the whimpering pitiful dog? Anne might have gone to see him to ask for particulars of her sister's death. Well, yes, replied Fanks thoughtfully, but that does not explain why she went away when she saw me. I can only surmise that she did not wish to explain what brought her there, and so tell the tale of her sister's death to a stranger. No, there was more in it than that, said the detective, 
remembering that Anne had been among the crowd on the night of the murder. But we will talk of this hereafter. In the meantime, let us return to the main object of my visit, and show me this famous cross." Hersham made no objection to this request and removed his coat. Rolling up his sleeve, he exposed the cross tattooed on the flesh of the left forearm. It was a St. Catherine cross, the size of a florin, and Fanks examined it long and carefully. "'Did you get that tattooed at school?' he asked when Hersham had resumed his coat. "'I did not get it done at all. I have had it ever since I can remember, and I have asked my father often about it, but he cannot, or will not, give me any information.' "'He will not, most probably. Are you sure that there is no story attached to the tattooing?' "'None that I know of. But my father might be better informed.' "'Would your mother know?' I have no mother. She died when I was a baby." "'Strange,' muttered Fanks, pensively. "'It is strange that you should have this mark on you and yet be ignorant of its significance. I wish you would speak to your father about it.' "'He won't tell me anything. I have asked him before.' "'You have no idea why a cross similar to this should have been tattooed on Sir Gregory's arm by a negro?' "'Certainly not. I did not even know Sir Gregory.' I wonder if your father could tell me. I don't know. He might or he might not. Do you think that this cross has anything to do with the murder you are investigating?" That is just what I do think," retorted Fanks. The man was killed by means of a poison needle used to prick in a cross similar to that on your arm. But that insinuates that I am mixed up in the matter. It does nothing of the sort. Don't be an ass. But Hersham was not content with this friendly assurance. "'You think that I have something to do with the crime,' he said obstinately. Fanks looked at his agitated face, at his trembling hands, and a strange suspicion entered his mind. "'I'll tell you what I do think,' he said in an abrupt tone. "'I think that you have not told me all the truth.' Hersham trembled still more, and clasped his hands together. "'I cannot.' he muttered, shrinking away from Fanks. I dare not. End of chapter 13